Welcome to the Words Matter podcast, enhancing patient care through better communication. Welcome to another episode of the Words Matter podcast. I'm Oliver Thompson. And firstly, thanks to all of you that are supporting the podcast via Patreon. You're making a huge difference and I'm deeply grateful. So in this episode, I'm continuing with the Outsider series, where I speak with clinicians who feel they're outsiders of their profession, sharing their experiences, their struggles, and how things could maybe change. And this may be the last Outsider episode for a while, as I'm pausing the series to commence the much-anticipated clinical reasoning series. But there are plenty more outsiders lined up to share their experiences, so stay tuned. And today I'm speaking with former osteopath Rob Jonah. Rob qualified as an osteopath in the UK a couple of years ago, having changed from his previous career as a plumber. He talks about his experience as an osteopathy student, and his initial period in professional practice, a combination of which led him to leave the osteopathic profession and return to his plumbing career. And Rob's experience of osteopathy is just that, his experience. And as you'll hear, it's largely a negative one. However, I believe that by hearing his experience of how he entered the osteopathy profession and then abruptly left, that those of us in clinical education and leadership positions may learn how we can better develop new osteopaths who are on the edge of professional life and support novice clinicians post-qualification. And I know Rob personally, and he's certainly not some disgruntled and bitter new grad that couldn't hack it as an osteopath. It was clear to me that he really wanted to make it work. He gave it his all and that leaving the profession was a difficult and undesired last resort. And I hope, and I think, you'll come to the same view after listening. And if you'd like more context around Rob's decision to leave the osteopathic profession, you can check out the place where he announced it, on his Instagram profile, at HowToMove. And I've linked the profile in the show notes. Needless to say, it sounds like Rob's in a much better place now and I wish him the best in his return to his previous career. So I bring you Rob Jonah. Rob, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Good to be here. So as we were saying kind of offline, you are a real outsider, like you're not even a pretend outsider like me. It's still stuck inside, but just wearing an outsider t-shirt. You've, as we'll discuss, you are a bona fide outsider, having left the osteopathy profession pretty recently, right? I am. I'm fully out. I'm free. Yeah, you're never free. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe start by introducing, I suppose, yourself, but your former self, your former professional self, your clinical background what your clinical interests were when, when they were interests and 
maybe briefly where you are now without spoiling the the surprise journey too too much. So I'm Rob, and I'm a voluntarily deregistered osteopath. So I'm like you're saying, I'm fully outside the profession. Uh, no longer doing any of that. Um, I'm happy to say, and I sort of I probably deregistered now a month ago, something like that. I don't know. Time has flown since. And was only qualified for uh, less than two years. So didn't last all that long. Uh, did four years in a university. Uh, qualified, got first class masters. Did very well. Uh, worked in a few clinics around. Um, I moved house a few times. This, this is pandemic ongoing since qualifying. Yeah, had a few a few jobs. Worked for a few principals as an associate. Did my own thing for a little while. And then packed it all in. And we'll get to the packing it all in bit in a in a bit. But I suppose, obviously, the context here is that we kind of virtually know each other. We've actually never met in person, but we we, we did, yeah. But it's gone back a few years. Did we meet yeah, in person? Yeah, yeah. Goodness, when did we? Where, where was, was that? Probably second year of my second year of uni. I came I came down to London actually. A, you did come yeah, down yeah, to yeah. London. Goodness, yeah, yeah. So we have met once yeah. in person, and so. But after that point, we were kind of chatting over the phone, and you obviously. I suppose confided in some of the kind of struggles you had with during your training, but also your postgraduate phase as well. So, so the context we can, I'm familiar with some of your story, and this is why I wanted to get you on the series to, to share that because it was so powerful. And so, so I suppose if we go back to your training, your de- osteo degree, what was, what was that like? I mean, how, how did you feel engaging in some of the topics and, kind of practical subjects what, what was that experience like and it might be worth pointing out you, you were a, a mature student so you came from a career left that career to embark on an osteopathic career yeah I certainly did so I, I yeah I joined uni at 30 um, and I was a plumber for most of my life before that um, took the plunge to come to university get get educated in a profession that I wanted to be proud of um, and threw myself into it. First year of uni, I uh, was fully involved in everything that went on. Um, amazed at, uh, at everything that was kind of taught. So I threw myself into uni, basically. Obviously, like you said, coming from a career, this is a, you know, a change of life course. Um, made a real go of it and really enjoyed first year, um, everything that was taught, um, it, where I am now, it may be hard to believe, but it wasn't until second year when I really started to question things, um, which is when I reached out to you, came down to London. Um, but the, the reason for that was because I hurt my shoulder. So I kind of had suffered with shoulder pain for a long time, um, just, just through, through training, sort of exercising in the gym and things hurt my shoulder, but it was really starting to nag me. And I was in university studying osteopathy, surrounded by osteopaths who were good at what they did. So I started to see one of them. Um, I thought this is obviously the right place to get my shoulder sorted. And, um, I think this is a relevant story because this tutor 
uh, was amazing um, at what they did. Highly praised, could do um, some serious magic. Uh, and um, so I was seeing them and took it really seriously. And what I what I decided to do at the same time as this is really strip back my training and, and effectively do some proper rehab. This person could um, feel all sorts of things. So was really good at cranial and BLT. Um, just balanced ligaments is to eat for the yeah. non-osseopathic or even maybe osseopathic audience may not know that. Yeah, which... It's embarrassing that I do, but... <laughs> yeah, but you have to. It's a kind of gentle cranial you can lay your hands on and imagine that the, the tissues relax. Yeah, I think probably keyword, imagine. Or position of ease, I think that's the phrase, <laughs> isn't it? Something like that. <laughs> yeah, so... I don't do it. I swear I don't do it. <laughs> you know a lot about it. Um, yeah. Um, imagine, imagine you're doing those things. That's what, that was a good word. And so, so this person could feel your, you know, your spinal fluid moving, you know, that, that sort of, that sort of level of supposed skill. And at the same time as well, because I was trying to take my shoulders seriously, I thought this is my chance to really kind of, get my shoulder back to where it should be. I also went down the route of getting an x-ray done. Um, and the x-ray came back with like a, a really quite significant separation at my AC joint. And I kind of mentioned the x-ray findings to the tutor and they were really surprised. And I just thought that, well, how can you feel somebody's spinal fluid moving, um, but not um, a, a separated joint? Uh, it just sort of didn't make sense to me. That really sparked some thought. I actually came home, sort of spoke to my other half about it and was sort of kind of a bit confused because um, surely you could feel that quite quite easily and that wasn't the focus of any kind of treatment or, or anything. Um, and it was around the same time that I started to branch out and I created my Instagram page and I wanted to start doing some kind of massage and on the side and start to build up my experience and you know I was really trying to make a go of it all um, my, my Instagram page started out with me you know putting tennis balls in places and um, it's just uh, you know just all of the gimmicky type of stuff that you can think of and it and it took off <laughs> people loved it it was big it was a big, it was a big page yeah people big loved following. it yeah no it wasn't that big um People, if people ever go to it, uh, it still exists. How to move? How to move? Yeah, at how yeah. to move? Yeah, I mean, maybe it's worth saying how your entrance, your decision around changing professions. So, you could have done a range of different professions or switched to other professions. What was your process to choose osteopathy over other similar professions away from plumbing? I probably knew most about osteopathy. Um, I'd been to chiropractors, um, but I'd, the first time I'd ever been to an osteopath, I was, I was young. Um, I was a, a child, like my mum took me, and, and actually it was a cranial osteopath. Um, um, I don't know what for, I can't remember what, what it was for, but yeah, I used to see osteopaths since then quite regularly with, with sport and things. I was always getting injured and and... I was one of those people who would hurt themselves in, in some, some kind of way. And it would be, you'd get advised to go and see an osteopath. I'd go, I'd get more often than not, I'd get my back clicked and I'd feel good. And, uh, and then, um, 
felt like I wanted to give that a go. <laughs> and what was the experience of changing careers? It was a big decision to make. I'm assuming it was a reasonable, successful plumbing career you had before. It's a change. I mean, it's, that must have been like quite a big event. Sit down, right? You're planning it with family members. I'm going to do this it's a big life change. So it's not an easy decision to make. Yeah, I'm very much all or nothing. So I am all in or all out. Um, and so when it became apparent that I could make the change, um, it, it looking back, it kind of felt like a no-brainer. It was something I wanted to pursue, so I pursued it. Um, it, you know, it is a big decision when I, when I was, and also then when I look back, I think actually that was a really big decision and I kind of just threw myself into it. Perhaps I could have looked into things a bit more. Um, hmm. However, what's advertised is osteop osteopathy as being um, something scientific and something real, um, and something, something that works. Uh, my experience has shown me that that's not the case. So even if I had have really looked into osteopathy more so, I would have been sold on the idea even more so and still would have taken that leap. And what was it like? So you said, you know, during the second year, you start to have these doubts in your degree. And what was the rest of your two year, two years like at uni? Did you, how do you feel in relation to your peers, your mates? to those doubts grow after the separated AC incident? Like, did you experience other events that made you kind of question your career choice and uh, kind of virtues of osteopathy? Yeah. The, the, the final kind of two and a half years sucked. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know how I made it through. Re reaching out to you and um, having you kind of... What did I say? <laughs> I was just like, yeah, I completely agree. <laughs> yeah, you completely agreed. And leave. But, you know, I obviously offered support and things and said, yeah, you could leave. Um, I looked into, you know, going down physiotherapy routes or strength and conditioning mm. routes, um, you know, background with, with, with sort of some personal training as well. And I've always been active and things. So, yeah, I looked into all of those things. But a whole host of things happened, I suppose, because going in as a mature student, there was time was a big consideration, money, um, you know, retraining again and, and doing all sorts of things. So I, so I decided to persevere. I thought, how can I make it work? What can I do? Like, you know, I've got, there's, there's people like you yeah. who are making it work. There are others out there. Um, you know, there are some good people that really do do good work, you know, in, in other professions as well. So again, because I started Instagram, that kind of opened my eyes up to quite a lot of things. Mm. Pages like, Adam Meekins comes to mind and I sort of um, had papers sent through by him as well. Um, and so I just persevered. Made the best of it. Yeah, tried to make the best of it. And then, yeah, along the way, there was sort of good and bad. You know, loads of things happened in uni that, that just blow my mind that, that goes on. Um, the level of nonsense is basically kind of what I'm getting at. It's just a lot of rubbish that still gets taught. I think when I... When I made the decision to go to university to study a master's level qualification, in my mind, I thought, this is great. This is something legitimate that's being taught at university level. So I'm going to go and learn how to be an osteopath. And you just get taught things that are a load of nonsense. Things that quite obviously 
I say obviously, but if you're <sighs> you go to university and you learn how to kind of read research and think critically, uh, learn these amazing skills. It's a bit of a catch twenty two type of situation because you're then reading research and thinking critically about what you're being taught, and you and if you and if you do that, if you apply those skills, you see that what you're being taught. Mm-hmm. It's a load of rubbish for the most part. Um, lots of yeah. outdated things. Yeah, it's particularly a problem if if the stuff that you're being taught doesn't survive the critical analysis that you're also being taught. So you're kind of feeding. It's like kind of cannibalism, isn't it? Yeah. You're, kind of bre- you're breeding students quite rightly to really think deeply about, or you sh- we should be kind of creating students to think deeply about the information they're exposed to, including the stuff that's handed down by educators and clinical tutors etc yeah. yeah we absolutely should be and and i and i learned those skills i mean yeah. uh, because i had that period where i was questioning things a bit more and and stuff wasn't adding up and i, I didn't as you should m level qualification that's the that's the time and place to do it yeah yeah and and unfortunately the, the more i did it the more i realized um the, the level of kind of i referred to it as quackery um on the post that I put up, um, which some people didn't like, but there's a lot of that going on. Um, but how did, how did that level of skepticism, criticism, how was that received by your lecturers, your mates? Were you, did it appear that you were different from, from your colleagues or your peers? How, how did that go down? Uh, yeah. So, partly, partly sort of, that would be kind of where being an outsider would sort of start from. It was, it was a, a bit of an ongoing joke kind of in lectures because it would, there'd be lots of kind of things that would get said. And then I would be looked to by peers as, to, as if to say, does it pass the Rob test? Yeah. Yeah. Does it pass the Rob test? Everyone kind of looks and they're like, every, that's, that's the frustrating thing is that, so everybody would, or, you know, friendship circles would kind of see that what's being taught was questionable, look to me to question it, but not follow through themselves with that. Uh, and so, and so that was, that was different. Um, so I, you know, I would kind of question that in my own way. Um, not the loudest person, so I wouldn't necessarily do the kind of open, uh, open discussions too much within uni isn't it my own time on one-to-one more so with with lectures and things maybe ask some questions there which would typically not go great for me um i would get made to feel like i was stupid i kind of got singled out on one fairly significant situation um i don't know if i go into that at all yeah, yeah. um it, it so yeah so an example of me kind of being singled out I felt um, so at, at university we got a chance to see some really complex patients. Um, so I was seeing a patient. Obviously, can't say too much about that, but um, it was a complex case. The patient I was picking up this patient, so they'd been seen, um, and they had told me that they didn't want any hands-on work. Um, but there was plenty to explore outside of that. There was so much to kind of discuss. Um, 
and I was willing to do that. I was at a stage where I, where I wanted to do that. That was suited my bias. Um, so we break, so we see the patient, we come up with our findings. We go back into the breakout room where our tutor and our peers are. We kind of discuss the case, uh, and then come up with a plan and then we'd go back in. So, so I'm out in the breakout room discussing my findings that suggest to the tutor that I'd like to talk to my patient about everything that I could explore. Um, and that just was instantly shut down and it resulted in a 20 minute or pretty much a 20 minute standoff of me and the tutor with my peers all sat watching awkwardly. I was essentially just being attacked for my stupid idea of speaking to the patient and roughly quoting was told if the patient doesn't want you to work with your hands well you're an osteopath that's what you do so they they, they shouldn't be your patient um, and we agreed to disagree uh, and but the trouble is is that being a, a student and the, the tutors kind of uh, are essentially in charge I couldn't I couldn't do any more for that patient um, so how did that make you feel? I mean, how did you get over that to have your kind of own approach rejected essentially by the clinical tutor at a time where you should be exploring and developing your own kind of theory of practice and approach to practice? And certainly contemporary practice would say that hands-on care can, is never essential. I mean, it's, you know, that's the it's totally unperson-centered care is to force a particular intervention or approach on a patient regardless of their wishes yeah it felt horrible um that that by this point this is fourth year um so where we're seeing more complex patients it, this is it's our fourth year of uni so we're supposed to be really you know we're getting ready to to qualify we should know what we're doing I, I felt like i was in a good position to do something there and yeah it just it felt horrible it was it was quite hard to deal with actually to, you know um yeah, it sucked. <laughs> but moving on into your, so if we move on now to your, once you graduate, so you've got a first. I mean, that's not an easy feat. So you obviously excelled in, you know, in a, in a range of subjects to get those, to get those marks. So you, you were still obviously giving it your all despite having these, these concerns or these experiences. Yeah. Um, because, yeah, uh, like I said, I had to, really throw myself into it and do as much as I could. Um, I, you know, I got first, I was able to, um, you know, when you do a practical exam, for example, you can, you can get good marks because you're asked to demonstrate sort of part of the practical exam, say when you have to demonstrate practical techniques, but that's fine. You can just demonstrate that. You don't really have to kind of question your ethics there. Um, so you can kind of get good grades and things. And then when it came to essay writing, like my dissertation, um, I, um, my dissertation was quite a big subject outside of the actual dissertation itself. But, um, you know, I, I, I wrote about the biopsychosocial model. Um, so I was able to explore things that interested me, directions that, you know, I, I think the profession should go in. Um, and yeah, was, was able to kind of, kind of first out of the bag to change careers and then change back. Like that's not, and to get a first. I mean, like you said, you gave it a good go. It's not like you just sucked at osteopathy and you didn't, you know, it's just a failed career 
like you by all accounts good at it right you were a good student good clinician but yet there's something about osteopathy that just didn't work for you and probably doesn't work for many other people yeah and so then you qualified and then you know, jump feet first into clinical practice yeah pretty much um uh we had to wait for things to open back up because it was it was pandemic time but yeah straight into practice worked at a decent clinic actually um first of all but it was too far away from where i was and i was moving anyway as well um so i had to kind of leave there I joined another practice uh they offered an employed role and i stayed there for as long as i could uh how was that it was i i wasn't a fan um of, of the type of osteopathy at that clinic got general osteopathic technique is one form of treatment that some practitioners like to use um but this was like a carbon copy every every single patient received the exact same treatment yeah it's pretty much to, it's a again i know too much about this where it's it's this whole body manual therapy essentially yeah. in a certain order a certain sequence yeah. there's a certain rhythm and rate i think as well and you just go around the body doing this general manual therapy treatment and kind of, i guess you they would say you treat what you find something kind of crops, yeah. crops up when you're wobbling someone's hip oh, i'll do that that's the problem there and go to the next yeah. side um but it does it seem like it, it's completely manual therapy focused yeah. but it's it's like the worst type of manual therapy because it's not even going to tailor yeah. to the individual it's just this sequence of techniques which is applied to everyone i think i'm you know there'll be people emailing me saying that's not what it is but it's largely what it is i think yeah i think some people some people will try to do a, a different type of got where they're, they're maybe less general i don't know okay but but what i saw at this clinic was the exact same uh routine on every single patient yeah routine's a good word yeah. it's it a routine it, is, it was a routine it was and and witnessing it firsthand sort of seeing patient after you know, patient after patient after patient because i'd shadow i'd shadow the new principal you know the principal as a new associate you know that and 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 that again so we're taught at university about how um, specific we can be and then you go out into practice and you see someone doing something entirely unspecific but while all while claiming to have a specific effect um, and that's often based on their what they call intent from to get from the treatment um, and I, I just I just I don't know if it's coming across right but it just doesn't make any sense in any way mm. um, I just can't get on board with it yeah, so I think the claim is something like, yes, whilst when I'm kind of wobbling the hip, I'm thinking about the sacroiliac joint. I'm not just thinking about the sacroiliac joint, but I'm thinking about it moving in a certain direction at a certain amplitude. And that kind of thought somehow permeates, <laughs> infiltrates the sacroiliac joint itself and, and, it, and it actually happens. Or, you know, that there's this you know, directionality, yeah. you're directing thoughts to a thing can affect some sort of change in that manner, I think. So that you weren't a fan of? I wasn't a fan of that. Didn't stay at that clinic for very long and moved moved countries, actually. Because uh, just because of the way life was with the pandemic and leaving uni and things, family home is back in Gloucester. My home was, was still kind of South Wales. 
Um, so it's moving around a little bit. Got our, our American listeners saying, country? Wales is a country? <laughs> <laughs> it is, yes. It is definitely its own country. <laughs> um, well, I'm proud of. Um, yeah, and, and uh, again, just moved back to South Wales and was an associate in a couple of clinics there. And then because I was back in South Wales, I kind of picked up my how to move thing a little bit on the side as well. So that during that period, I mean, it's, also, it's not unusual to, you know, to obviously going to change jobs as a new graduate. You're going to jump between clinics and work in a few clinics at once. But in the context of you doing that, but having these experiences and significant doubts and concerns about your career, what it means, you know, not, not really sitting right with you. What was that like emotionally, psychologically? Was it pretty stressful? Were you pretty depressed by the whole thing? Yeah, I'd go as far as to say that that's probably the first time I've ever really experienced depression. Um, oh, yeah, sorry. Um, Anyway, I would I would genuinely go as far as to say that would be the first time I've really experienced sort of depression. Um, it was stressful beyond belief. Uh, feeling like I'm sort of battling ethics, you know, my, my own ethics on a, on a daily basis. Uh, all, I, all I wanted to do was kind of help people. I uh, just didn't feel like I had the chance. Yeah. But did you have any experiences, clinical experience, when you did, you felt like you did help people and, you know, by whatever way you did it? Um, but were there, were, there, were there any positive experiences, clinical experience, when patients did respond, not, not respond in a kind of outcome sense, but you connected with patients in a way that you felt comfortable with and sat well with you ethically? Yeah, absolutely. Um it, it, it's difficult. Uh, what I find difficult about the osteopathy title, especially in South Wales, because it is kind of a close knit community. If somebody comes to see an osteopath, they they kind of know what to expect. So, for the for the for the most part, you're kind of seeing people, and they they kind of know what they want. But on those occasions when someone hasn't been to an osteopath before, doesn't know really what an osteopath is, and we'd always explore that. You know, I'd always kind of ask those sort of questions you know, why are you here? What do you know? And, and kind of we'd explore those sorts of things. And when I really got to a blank canvas, you know, in a, in a patient, they didn't know what was going on and, and I could entirely treat them the way I think they should be treated. Um, yeah, I had some, some great patients with, with kind of great outcomes, you know, people who, who genuinely would, would suffer with kind of debilitating back pain and didn't know where to go. And, and then they're back in the gym doing everything they love. You know, I've had people tell me um, that, that if it wasn't for me, they would be out of work now. Um, and, and none of these people did I emphasize my magic hands, my amazing skills, you know, my, yeah, my intent. Well, your osteopathicness, it was just Rob, the clinician that's here to help you. Yeah, 
yeah none, none of that it was all about them and it and it was kind of all about um kind of exploring where they're at and where they want to be um so yeah definitely had some some mm. brilliant times when i when you know kind of few and far between in terms of patients um that you really get to do that with um so that, that you know that's quite a struggle but but yeah there were some good times <laughs> and the context around you as you said at the beginning you deregistering and that's that's really quite quite recent what, what what how did that come about how long were you thinking about it and what was the the straw so to speak that broke the camel's back i wasn't going to say the whole thing i hate saying that <laughs> there isn't a better one is there but you know um i don't know what this what the straw was um the final straw um i just i just had enough it just it just got to a point and I just had enough. Just did not want to do it anymore. It's a, a daily battle. You know, my, my Instagram account, you, every day you're seeing rubbish on there. It's like social media. Um, it just batters you. Um, and and then I'm, I'm working with kind of colleagues who I have to hear the same sort of thing with and I can't have honest discussions and... Um, yeah, it really takes its toll. I, I would say I'm fortunate in that I have a previous career that I can fall back yeah. on. And it was just about making that choice. Um, so there wasn't a, a defining moment that, that made me kind of go, right, that's it, I've, I've, I've had enough. It, 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 just for whatever reason, it just got to a point and I had had enough. Yeah. And it's a hard call to make, isn't it? Because, you know, nothing's perfect and... I'm sure, you know, even with your plumbing, you're thinking, oh, I bloody hate plumbing or I hate wish I was doing something else. I mean, that's just the nature of life, isn't it? Kind of not grass always greener, but there's always, you know, what, what, what level of unhappiness or dissatisfaction is the level at which we begin to change careers? And it's really, it's, it's not clear, is it, when that point is, but for you, it obviously just became that you've, you've engaged that point somehow, that's it. I've had enough. I'm not kind of going through my life having these these feelings about my work. Yeah, because because my impression of osteopathy beforehand was was that it was this real thing, you know, a, a science and you know like a, a medical type of thing, like with kind of right and wrong and and sort of things. Like, you know, like I said at the start, I'm kind of all or nothing. I like it, um, kind of that way, and. Um, it's just not what I'd signed up for. And after really trying, you know, doing well in my degree, kind of doing okay outside of that, um, but it just wasn't what I signed up for. And on, now that you're a m month out, you've kind of broken free. What's it like looking back? Uh, how do you feel about your decision now? I feel I feel really good about the decision. Um, honestly, um, I mean I'm super busy, <laughs> so I haven't had much time to really look back. Um, but I'm glad that I don't have to. Um, you know, it's uh, still have friends that that are working as osteopaths. Um, so it's sort of you know 
give them as much support as I can. Um, friends who are... What's the reaction like from those friends? Are they just envious that you were able to take the leap or they're like, well, what are you doing? It's great. They do think it's great because uh, everyone everyone kind of who knows me has knows that it's been a struggle. So, so it makes sense for me to get out of it. Um, yeah, I've got, you know, I've got one, one friend in particular who's in his fourth year at the moment. Um, and that's quite a difficult uh, position to, to, to be trying to support him through that. And uh, mm. uh, whilst I'm having, having great fun outside of it. I mean, do you think, you know, uh, and do you think, I don't know, what, what strikes me is that there wasn't that support around you. You know, if you had a better you know, group of mentors or senior practitioners that could, I mean, you might have still left, but, you know, I'm thinking that you were kind of, you know, in a part of the country or even another country where the expectations of what an Australia is is clearly not what you would like it to, to be or to, to feel like. And you just weren't, because there is, there is, as you said, there is a, there are, there are osteopaths doing something with patients, which seems to be ethical, you know, seems to be helpful for patients, and isn't kind of wedded to the osteopathic kind of dogma or or traditions that you and I both, you know, dislike. But I wonder why you. Yeah, I mean, it's a, I guess it's extreme. It's an extreme decision to really to leave, but you also try to give it a mm. go in your own way. But it, I'm just curious on why it didn't work. Like, why couldn't you make it? Why couldn't you make it work? Is it? So my, my wondering if you were surrounded by or had access to people that could guide, support you, you wouldn't have to have left. Or do you think there anything? I suppose the question is: could there could there been anything that could have been done to stop you from leaving? Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? P- potentially, um, it's difficult because, like, I, ha- I had lots of. Well, I had a few people uh, after I did leave and and kind of announced me leaving. Um, did have people contact me and and say like, you know, what about the patients and like, can't you can't you do this and that and you know, t- fair enough, leave the title behind of an osteopath, but you know. Uh, work with patients as a as a health coach or as a strength and conditioning coach or something like that, and and I and I I agree like that's that's a great option as well. I'd just had enough. I think it it got me to a point where I just needed to get out. Um, so I got out. And is it the same in in plumbing? Is it the same kind of political kind of? I'm sure there isn't, but I'm but like I'm. I mean, all professions will have their own kind of little battles going on and mm. nonsense, if you like, going on as you described it within in your in your kind of university training. Like, what's have you encountered? Is there anything in 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 plumbing? You're like, that's just that really strikes me ethically as not being right. Like, why are they why are they doing that? Have you encountered? The, have, you, have the same emotions could have cropped up? Uh, definitely not to the same degree. <laughs> you de- you still got. Instagram plumbers and uh, you've got good, good and bad in in the field and like yeah, there's there's loads that annoys the crap out of me, yeah. um, you know the you know but 
nothing to the level mm. that that osteopathy has done. I mean, the irony is that you know, there's that famous, often claimed to be unique osteopathic mantra, the rule of the artery is supreme, which is pretty much the mantra of every vascular surgeon, isn't it? But if there's anyone that was able to fix, find and fix kind of chinks in the pipework, it would have been you yeah. <laughs> yeah. as an osteopath. And in first year, I was really good at that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then, then I realised that people were a little bit different yeah. to, to the pipes. Yeah. And do you have any words of wisdom? I mean, thinking about your mates in the fourth year and others that might be listening, either they're, they're students or they're you know already clinicians with a similar kind of doubts and struggles. I mean, what would your... I don't know, advice is the wrong word, but, you know, what would you say to them? What would you, what would you suggest that they do? Leave. Yeah, yeah, leave. <laughs> Run away. The really difficult questions to answer. Yeah. Um, yeah, maybe you, yeah, maybe you don't have to, but maybe there's something you want to say at least. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's tough. I think one thing that I kind of do see is, is people do have questions, but they're, they're not asking them enough. And I think if you have a question, ask it. And if you're not happy with the answer, you need to keep pushing. You know, maybe I wasn't good enough at that, especially at uni. Um, you feel as though you can't speak, You kind of how you feel. Or at least I did. And I know others around me have felt that way. Um, so it, it does seem to be a common theme. So I think persevering with kind of asking those questions. And there's also a, a little bit of a kind of fringe of the evidence-based practice type of, um, you know, buzzwords kind of get misused as well. So there's, there's some elements of research creeping into people's narratives. And because probably, potentially because of the way we're trained, Although people might acknowledge, you know, evidence-based research and these certain articles and are able to cite things and, and say sort of stuff that they always resort back to the formal training. And, you know, there's no such thing as good or bad posture, for example, but come and see yeah. me so I can make sure yours is okay. Um, so I think advice is just to keep asking the questions and, and stop falling into these, these traps. Yeah. And I think you know, in fairness to osteopathy, some of these things are kind of apparent in all the MSK professions. And of course, we're talking about your experience. And this isn't, this isn't a way of me defending osteopathy, but I, I, you know, I can imagine physio students or physios having very similar experiences, Cairo students, you know, rehab students. And so it's part of, part isn't unique to osteopathy. I think there is some stuff which appears to be unique to osteopathy, the, the sense of tradition and kind of yeah. adherence to dogma and individuals from you know, 140 years ago. That's yeah. quite particular to osteo and Cairo. Um, but I think the kind of biomedicalism, the emphasis on technical skills, the kind of dominance of the clinical tutor, like that's mm. that's pretty common, I think, across... Uh, kind of MSK to some extent. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely not unique to osteopathy. Um, one thing I would love to see happen is for all of those titles to just get checked in the bin anyway. Mm. I think it should just be 
an MSK profession, um, you know, lose all of the the ancient philosophies and and ideas about things that they're just not needed. Um, there's so much ego within osteopathy. At least that's what I can really comment on. Um, there's a lot of ego and a lot of kind of belief about about things, and I just think it's not it's not the place for that at all. You know, you shouldn't need to shouldn't if you're helping a patient, you shouldn't need to base it on something someone came up with a couple hundred years ago, which is been disproven. Um, you know, uh, it should be about the patient now um, and not yeah. kind of me and my ego and how good I am. Rob, thanks so much. Cheers. If you enjoyed this podcast, visit www.wordsmatter-education.com for all the show notes, resources and blogs and check out the online course in language and communication in relation to back pain. And I'll see you next time.